Hello, everybody. <laughs> Welcome back to I the Fieldcraft Survival Podcast. The conversation podcast. we just had. Oh. Sorry. Welcome to the Fieldcraft Survival Podcast. I'm the co-host, Kurt, and the host is Mike. He's here right Hi, everybody. He was calling me out on something, which we're not going to talk about publicly, but it was funny. I'm two beers deep, so I'm wasted right now. Yeah. Mike's a lightweight. This episode is sponsored by Odell Brewing Company, Indian Pell <laughs> LIPA. Please sponsor us and yeah. give us free beer. Yeah, yeah. Um, so today on the podcast, we're actually... What does actually, that sponsorship look like, though? I'm thinking Odell's rolls up in a truck, has it parked outside of the office. Dude, how awesome would that yeah. be? Yeah, and then we, like, if we need a beer, we walk out to the refrigerated truck, and there's, like, Dude, a thousand fucking We would refrigerate the, the office. The we just refrigerate the office. <laughs> yeah, just yeah. To, Just for that beer. We do podcasting, yeah, like... We're wearing, like, big polar coats. And, yeah, we'll do it in cool. We'll be wearing cool, uh, oh, big, yeah, yeah, sponsored yeah. Uh, yeah. jackets. That'd be cool. And then they have beer maids. They have beer maids. That'd be, be, be K-U-H-L cool. Yeah. Ooh. Can we find Can we find handsome dudes for beer maids for Kurt? <laughs> I'm sure. Yeah. Oh, so if you haven't noticed, there's a, there's a third voice in this room. Yeah. It's not um, the bipolar personality <laughs> of Kurt. It's actually an old teammate of ours. Uh, this this uh, episode, we actually wanted to bring in uh, Lee Z. We'll call him Lee Z. But Lee is a uh, uh, a former teammate of us uh, when we were on ODA 366 in Charlie Company, 3rd Battalion. Second Battalion. Uh, Jesus. Second battalion. Are you third sure special. you were on that team? Uh, no. <laughs> it was fucking ODA. Stolen Valor. <laughs> fucking Get stolen it Valor. Right, Dick. Second battalion, third special forces, forces group. group. Well, he was he was three beers in. Yeah, yeah. He is ahead. fucked up right now. So. I used to not drink, and now I drink. Now I'm an alcoholic. It's weird. <laughs> um, no, you're not. I'm Jeez. not. Um, so. Lee, you know, what's funny is when we started this overland everyday mobility migration, which wasn't a migration, we always taught um, survival from overland rigs, but we defined it. Yeah. And that pissed off a lot of people in the industry for some <laughs> reason because they were scared and intimidated. I don't know if it's a lot of people or if it's like two. If we two. pissed yeah. off trolls in the industry. Fuck those dudes, though. <laughs> Mall squatter, fuck you, bro. I'm um, sorry. Anyway, so... So we're looking for some validity in this um, relationship. So we brought in Lee. We flew him in from fucking Afghanistan so he could do a podcast with us. But Lee, Lee, what's weird is, you know, Lee is really, when I think of all the people I've served with in um, special operations, he's like the actual guy who could do shit. Yeah, like the MacGyver. He's the MacGyver. Like, I could I, drive in a vehicle. I, I jokingly, like, think of Lee that way because... Uh, my combat deployment with Lee, like our trucks would be falling apart. He'd be over there with this Afghan welder with no eye pro on, and they'd blind. be working, yeah, blind with like cataracts, and they're in there like getting our vehicles back up to go out and smash bad guys. Which is, and then he would go out with us and smash bad guys because yeah. he's a team dude. I was good at gunning, like being on a gun. <laughs> but outside of that, I couldn't tell you. People what the thought fuck I was do. handsome and my smile was great. <laughs> That's it. I, I mean, morale wise, you That's were. That's it. Yeah. Kurt, uh, or uh, Lee, <laughs> Lee was a uh, Lee was eighteen Charlie, right? You were eighteen C. Correct. And you know, let's let's do this. Let's give some intro, mm. man, because. Um, you actually have a unique background as far as uh, when you came into the fold. Yeah, because yeah, yeah. you came into the fold um, and you were one of the first classes of 18 x-rays ever. I mean, we, they had that program a long time ago, um, but when they re-kicked it up yeah. after 9-11 because of the need for, for guys, you were like one of the first classes, right? Yeah, correct. Um, 
Yeah, so um, long story short, I um, enlisted later on in life. I was 24 when I enlisted. Um, born and raised in Colorado. And um, I was working in a metal fabrication uh, and uh, repair shop. Um, I'd always wanted to uh, enlist in the military, always been interested in special operations, just hadn't done it to that point. Um, and was reaching a point uh, in my career there where I had some great mentors and learned a lot, but the learning curve was slowing down. So I was getting bored and looking for something else. And 9-11 um, happened. And uh, because of that, um, I started going back down the uh, military rabbit hole, trying to decide what I wanted to do and talk to the different branches and whatever, and um, uh, decided the Army was the route I wanted to go. And um, at the time, there was only Ranger contracts. There wasn't any 18 X-ray contracts, um, and they were out of them. So I was I was waiting on those to come back around and um, taking care of some loose ends, paying bills, because uh, I was going to take a serious pay cut to be a, <laughs> yeah. P, to be a PFC in the yeah. Army. <laughs> and um, as I was taking care of all that stuff, uh, they kicked off the 18 X-ray program, and I got a call from my recruiter. Uh, who's super squared away, dude. And uh, um, yeah, he let me know about it. And I, I looked into it some more and I decided that was the route I wanted to go. So um, yeah, I started down that course of action and uh, managed to make it through and uh, end up at third group. Yeah, which I mean, obviously, you know, that story is is not an uncommon one with 18 x-rays. And I think one of the cool things with my experience on uh, you know, an operational detachment alpha, when I got to third group, you know, Lee was already a engineer sergeant on the team when I got to the team. Well, I had spent, you know, close to seven years in the regular army <clears throat> prior to going to SF. And the one thing that I noticed, you know, there was a lot of, uh, and, and I've, I've been asked questions this on social media and everything about guys going 18 x-ray and they're young, sure. don't have a lot of life experience, and they're wondering how they're going to do on a detachment and, you know, a lot of the advice that I give guys that are young is typically I'm like, hey, man, go to the regular army first, yep. get a little bit of life experience under your belt, learn something, actually bring something to the detachment. And that was always a big difference with the, with the early 18 x-ray classes in my mind was the guys were older, 9-11 had happened. Um, and people were motivated to join the military. They had these life experiences. For example, yeah. you were a metal fabricator, an educated dude, like squared away, and you brought this extra skill set with you into the military. And then, lo and behold, you show up to an operational detachment alpha. You're in remote fire bases in Afghanistan, and we need a metal fabricator or a guy that understands the technical aspects of that and, and can actually do it. And Lee was that guy for the team, which was awesome. Yeah, that you know, worked out for me. Um, it was an opportunity to prove myself uh, on the team right away. Um, and, and, you know, like Kurt mentioned, uh, sometimes there are some shortcomings with the 18 x-ray program. You know, militarily, we're a little less experienced, you know, in COERs, a lot of that kind of stuff. Yeah, the admin, we, yeah, the understanding yeah. of the Army. And we're lacking a little bit on that. Um, but then sometimes we do bring other life experiences that we can contribute to the team that might not otherwise have been there. Right, which, my yeah, my point in saying that in general, you know, is I can tell you from firsthand experience in special operations – uh, unfortunately now the administrative stuff is getting heavy with our peers. We talk to them all the time, but you know, back in the day, you know, 
there wasn't a lot of emphasis on haircuts, grooming standards, how well administratively you could do your job. It was all about what you could do on the ground, which, you know, some units I think have maintained the integrity of doing that. Um, just because, you know, things have slowed down just a little bit. Sometimes that creeps back in the military stuff creeps back in. But, uh, the cool thing that I noticed with the guys that were, you know, the early on classes of 18 x-rays is they did bring a lot of other life experiences. And these guys were, you know, uh, every part is valuable on the detachment as a guy like me that had already been to combat, you know, through the invasion of Iraq and then had some, some army experience as a non-commissioned officer and stuff like that. But the, you know, again, the cool thing was Lee had this special skill set um, that he brought to the table. And, you know, again, Afghanistan is an extremely austere environment. Some of the roughest terrain I've ever overlanded in in my life. Um, and, you know, extremely dangerous. And, you know, here you are with a guy that has previous experience of how to fix vehicles, how to, how to fabricate metal and do all these things, whether it's gun mounts, whether it's fixing a GMV, whether it was fixing a, a, a Land Rover or chopping something or figuring out weight distribution or any of those important things, uh, he was our guy. Yeah, what's interesting is you got off active duty, you actually got out. What, what, one, what was your decision to get out? Like, why did you get out? And then what did you decide to do when you when you separated from the military? Yeah, you know, I, I guess one of the, the drawbacks of, um, you know, being a 18 x-ray and not having you know come through the you know ranks per se is that um uh, i didn't have a really good grasp on what i needed to do to set myself up um to continue doing what i wanted to do in the army and i i thought by holding my cards and not re-enlisting that would give me some leverage <laughs> and, it, <laughs> and it didn't really end up the, that way so oh, you want to leave yeah <laughs> bye so, yeah so um yeah i you know in retrospect i look back especially like how the the um, things that you guys did uh, to affect your careers, the cha- the changes you made, the you know going different places, doing different things, um, you know really helped you guys direct your career. Well, I didn't really do that very well. So when they gave me my options, I wasn't real excited about them, and I was at a point, you know, at you know a little over six years where I wasn't committed to you know. Uh, yeah, staying the course, staying in for retirement. Um, you know, and and so the decision I made at that time was to get out for better for worse, and uh, immediately you know had some regrets about that decision, um, and, and struggled for about a year, and then got a call um, from a, another SF buddy um, about a, a contracting program that was getting started up, and um, basically what that job would entail uh would be going and supporting special operations units um in country in Afghanistan and eventually other uh places also um and modifying their equipment um custom fabricating equipment or repairing their equipment uh to make uh to increase their lethality and their survivability on the battlefield and um with my background I just kind of naturally fell into that um, and it was good. It, it was what I needed at the time, um, because it kind of brought me, although, you know, not getting to hop on birds or, you know, GMVs or whatever and, and go do the job, I at least was supporting the community Yeah. and, uh, and felt like, um, I was still making some type of difference, uh, and, you know, and helping my brothers out. So. Yeah. Actually, I think we were talking last night, we did a barbecue at my house last night and we had everybody over. 
And it was cool because, you know, Mike, Lee, and myself sat down and, of course, we're having a couple beers and laughing, you know, like a lot of veterans experience different, uh, you know, different experiences with each other in combat. And we're all going back and forth laughing about all these, you know, fantastic times in our lives and like, you know, holy shit moments where we're getting friggin' shot at <laughs> and back to back, like trying to figure out what to do and just, you know, real defining moments, I think, in uh, in our relationships as teammates and, and all this stuff. So it was a good time. But Lee told a story of, uh, you know, as a fabricator, he was in an, in uh, in a country where we're chasing bad guys and he was uh, had the ability to fabricate a uh, a forty millimeter grenade launcher like a Mark nineteen, Mark forty seven. If you're familiar with those, an automatic grenade launcher mount uh, to this ATV. Uh, lo and behold, he does this for a uh, a team in special operations. Those guys go out, get into a big gunfight, and one of the guys that he was specifically working with was wounded, and this. Uh, platform that he had helped create this weapon system to be mounted to the ATV actually provided the uh, suppressive firepower to allow this wounded guy to be evac'd and saved. So, you know, like you were describing, it's like, <clears throat> yeah, you definitely miss the military. I mean, we've talked about that a bunch since you've been up here with us. You know, don't miss the army that much. Don't miss Sergeant Majors telling me to do certain things. Um, <laughs> but being around the guys is what we all miss. So, like, for you to be able to step back in as a fabricator and help our brethren, you know, in combat, like you were saying, that was, you know, obviously a fulfilling thing that you were doing. Yeah, it definitely kind of, for me, kind of validated, you know, that choice, you know, uh, regardless of, um, you know, whether I had some reservations about it or not, it kind of, you know, um, validated my new place in, in life and, and what I was doing um, and the ability to give back to the community. So, yeah, I know when we were in Afghanistan together and we talk we talk about this often because we had the Land Rovers in Afghanistan, the Defenders. Mm -hmm. And what's interesting to me is, you know, we had the GMVs, but because of the weight considerations, and the fact that we had a you know one you single set lane the stage with uh, where you guys were at in array and how remote yeah. that yeah. firebase was and the reason why, I mean you know that you know the how narrow the roads were one way in one way out the terrain the Hindu Kush you know the Konar River yeah just epic yeah imagine you know living off the side of a mountain in um, Colorado but with no infrastructure right so the the road that we were on wasn't paved. Uh, for the most part, in fact, I don't, I don't think it was paved anywhere. They've since paved a lot of it, but when we were there, it was just you know it was gravel. Yeah. It was just rock, yeah. uh, essentially blasted rock. Um, and there was one, you know, it ran north south, but one side of it was the Konar River, which you know actually killed one of our interpreters while we were downrange. Yeah. And the other side was a straight incline into a mountainous uh, yeah. terrain. And you know, this is Osama bin Laden's stomping grounds. This is where he literally hid and he lived um, in between Barakal, which is called BK, uh, you know, in between Kunduz and Maza Sharif on the north the north side of that, which I did a ladder trip with. And this whole Hindu Kush um, area that he lived in near Kamdesh, I mean, they didn't even know what Americans were. I mean, yeah. we, we landed in Kamdesh on an aerial recon once. And they thought we were Russians. I mean, this was the middle of fucking nowhere. But I remember it was, it was just so remote. So when you look, at, when you think about overlanding, it's not in the the sense that we understand it, which is where you take 
uh, hardball and, uh, you know, dirt trails into a national forest. This yeah. isn't what that is. This is like literally driving across uh, varied terrain where there sometimes are no trails. Some of the most yeah. remote terrain on the planet. Absolutely. Where, yeah. When a bad guy is trying to kill you. And I know when we showed up that fire base, we had three Land Rovers. Yep. And then we had GMVs, which were, you know, because of the weight considerations and other issues, we opted not to use in our mobility package. Yeah. Why, why did we opt to use the Land Rover? And then what condition uh, were the Land Rovers in? And, and what, what did you have to do? I know you had been uh, a teammate of ours that was killed in combat, but uh, you guys were both 18 Charlies. What did you guys have to do to make those so we could overland in that environment? Yeah, I, I think the initial uh, decision not to use the GMVs was that um, – they were really only good on that on that one MSR that just Highway One. Um, you couldn't cross the bridges with them, and then the the small trails that went up to the villages, you couldn't get the GMVs up them. And you too sh- wide, yeah, you, you, yeah, and you couldn't turn them around. Yeah, yeah. and so you're really setting yourself up for failure uh, with maneuverability. As awesome as those vehicles are, they just weren't you know uh, conducive to our, where you guys uh, yeah our mission set. Yeah. So we decided to use the Land Rovers. Um, and got there, and, and they'd had some modifications done to them, um, but they were done by local nationals. And so when we fell in on them, they were falling apart. I mean, I think we went on a right seat ride and came back, and the Mark 19 uh, mount was literally falling off <laughs> the truck. I remember the gun fell off the truck. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know why when you said, like, the vehicles were done by local nationals, I'm thinking it was the jingle truck special. Like, there was... <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. well, I would, they weren't exactly jingled out, but... Yeah. The quality of uh, fabrication on them was up at that level for sure. Yeah. Um, so, uh, yeah, initially it was just trying, you know, trying to get, you know, gun mounts that were more solid or whatever, but then I think... What the considerations came into is how are we going to uh, kit these vehicles out uh, for, uh, you know, uh, SF dudes with all their kit and then our, our heavy weapon systems, our cruiser weapons and, and all the ammo that we want to um, put on them. Um, obviously, they weren't as robust as a GMV. So we really had to take into consideration how we were going to configure them and, and what we were going to bring and pare it down to, you know, uh, I wouldn't say the bare minimum because I don't think we ever go with the bare minimum. But but taking it, yeah, yeah, like really figuring out, like, hey, for this specific mission, we need, we definitely need fifty cal. We need Mark nineteen. We need a rocket. We got to have a med pack, like all those things. Instead of like you know, dudes like no, 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 we got to take extra this. No, yeah, can't do that. Suspension's not going to handle it. Yeah, we can't move as far in the terrain because of whatever distance, gas, all that, sure. all those considerations. Sure. Yeah, exactly. So, so what we, you know, as a team eventually sat down and started figuring out is, you know, what were, you know, the bare essentials and how were we going to make that work on that platform? And that's when we started, um, you know, modifying racks, making racks for fuel, making attachments points for go bags and racks for ammo and, and, and how that I think all kind of relates back to, the overlanding is it's a similar mindset except you're not going to get blown up or shot at um but it is about you know what do we need for you know this particular trip and, and how are we going to you know work that into the platform that we're we're driving how were those vehicles like how how would you rate the like uh the defender i know we talked a little bit about it because you know some people who know the land rover and the defender 
Um, they know it because of the urban nights who roll in them and because they're like a baller vehicle. Right. But for us, you know, you know, I think about like the SAS days in North Africa sure. and I think about the historical um, overland movements during warfare. Um, how would you rate that vehicle as compared to the um, GMV? Um, I tell you, I, I'm terribly impressed with the GMV. That vehicle did more than it was ever designed to do. Um, but I will say I was shocked by, and I don't know about the new ones. I've never worked with the new Land Rovers, but those old Defenders that we rolled in were incredible because we did not have much. We had very few parts for them. I think at one time we had a uh, catastrophic failure of an axle and uh, somehow one was sourced and sent out to us. But other than that, yeah, they rattled and banged up and down those roads, and we ran them in four low the entire time because you couldn't get fast enough that you needed them in four high. Um, and they just day in and day out they went, you know, and they ate whatever kind of fuel you put in them. And <laughs> yeah. they, like those things, I tell you, I was you know a little nervous about rolling out in them, especially you know I didn't I didn't know any different any better. Um, but uh, they performed, man. It was incredible. What you know? It's you know we talked about this last night. It was kind of funny. You know, we didn't have the overland roof rack tents. You know, when we slept on on overland, I remember we went to a BK one time and we were doing an off and BK barrack out, and we were sleeping underneath it. It was a fucking miserable, dude. It, like rained and we were just getting shit on, <laughs> and dude, it was like miserable. And I remember there being no comfort as compared to like me and Kurt's rigs, where it's like a Marriott, a rolling Marriott, right. where we got fridges, tents, um, and. There wasn't a lot of, you know, I don't even know if, you you mentioned a little bit about it, and I want to get your take on it, about the Australian thing, right? Because yeah. yep. Australia, who, you know, historically, if you understand, the if you know about the overland community, historically is like the birth child of overland period. Because, you know, you can go. Uh, we have friends there who own um, uh, APV, right. the, uh, the uh, six-wheeled uh, Land Cruiser. Um, where you can go weeks without seeing a human being in yeah. yeah. true overlanding, right. you know, in, in uh, Aborigine country. Yeah. Um, what what are some of the thought processes and some of the things that you went through logistically and try to source some equipment? Because I remember you even mentioned you reached out to Australia to see, you know, what, hey, what's some equipment that we can get for these rigs? Yeah, well, I you know, I think it's a combination of a lot of things. Part of that's boredom, which, you know, <laughs> like, yep. what, what's the old John Wayne thing? Nine you months know, like, of that. Yeah, with, yeah, you know, long periods of boredom punctuated, punctuated by brief moments of pure terror, whatever that's <laughs> all the way. But, yeah. I bought an ambulance on eBay, uh, so... There, yeah. Which might have been an awesome overlanding vehicle, by the way. That would have been. We couldn't get a ship direct, but, <laughs> yeah. but I remember uh, that. Yeah, no, so, you know, you and I shared a room for nine months there, and had... At times, nothing better to do than to get on the old interweb there. And uh, <laughs> I think it was a combination of like looking stuff, you know, to, um, you know, help us with our survivability. Uh, but uh, also coming from a background of hunting and fishing and, and, and camping and, and stuff like that in Colorado myself, I stumbled on a, a website that had overlanding trailers. And at, at that time, I, I don't think it was at all prevalent in the United States. Um, everybody's towing around big, big, uh, trailers or RVs, big yeah. ass campers in the back of their trucks. Yep. And I stumbled upon this site and, um, I, it was, um, pretty sure it was Australian could have been South African cause they've been doing it for a long time too, but I'm uh, pretty sure it was Australian. And all of a sudden I see this like badass, you know, trailer, like probably with a pinnel hitch, you know, big off-road tires, lots of ground clearance, 
rooftop tent. And one of them even had a place to put an ATV on the front, which really got me going. I was like, man, (laughs) I got to get me one of these. But they were incredibly expensive because they were all, you know, to get one stateside. Yeah. Um, Yeah. I mean, you were talking 30,000 plus dollars from this, you know, little trailer with a rooftop tent. Um, That's kind of come full circle. Now we see a lot of that here in the States now. Yeah, absolutely. But at the time, unless I was just unaware of it, I just don't think that was a thing yet. Yeah. This is, Um, you know, early 2000 or mid 2000. And I don't think it was a thing either. Because I remember myself, you know, being a Jeep guy, because I had a Jeep looking into this kind of stuff and it just didn't exist. Yeah. Yeah. The market is completely blown up from Australia and uh, South Africa, like you mentioned. Yeah. Wasn't it wasn't really a thing. And, but now we're seeing that here, big time. Yeah. yeah. Well, you know, it's interesting. You know, we, we, we talked with Rigid the other day about doing some stuff for an, uh, an a ATV-type vehicle, side-by-side type vehicle. We didn't have true side-by-sides back then, but we did have motorcycles or combat controller mm-hmm. uh, who used to crash it often. <laughs> uh, crash often his motorcycle, his 125 or his yeah. little bike he had. Um, but we also had, um, it was Terry. Terry was the guy's name. But um, we also had um, ATVs. We had Polaris yeah. ATVs. We had that brand new six-wheeler. The brand there. new six-wheeler. I actually have good pictures of that, um, <laughs> which I used actually to market this podcast. But we, you guys mounted a recordless rifle, 106 yeah. millimeter recordless rifle. I remember <laughs> test firing that with Ben and you. And um, that we were mounting weapon systems to six-wheelers, to four-wheel drive vehicles. Yeah. That were more mobile, and, I, and this was like the birth of this. Nobody was doing this prior. No, no. in fact, uh, the the most that we had seen prior was a machine gun, but mm-hmm. a heavy a heavy weapon system like a forty millimeter grenade launcher or a a record a foreign recordless yeah, rifle right. that shot Russian or Chinese one hundred six millimeter <laughs> rockets um, wasn't done before. No, and it, you know, I, dude, I, I I don't know if this is true. But we might have been one of the first teams ever to mount one of those recordless rifle, rifles um, that that actually worked. Because the 106 yeah. actually worked. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I, we also remember we had that uh, 107 rocket launcher we put in that three-quarter ton Humvee trailer. That, dude. <laughs> the, the most impressive thing with this, and I remember this because I, I literally helped write the sit reps for this. Is I remember we would get it would be you know we write a situational report that we'd re- we'd report back to the higher headquarters, and I remember the report would read because what we used to do is we would find caches of one hundred seven millimeter yeah. rockets, yep. and then we would harbor the caches because I remember I went over the the actual I went through the the connexes with Ben early mm-hmm. on, um, and we inventoried every single piece of uh, UXO unexploited ordnance that we had. And we had like 200 and something 107 <laughs> yeah. millimeter rockets. So the report would read, uh, ODA-366 gets attacked by with three 107 millimeter rockets and responds with 100 yeah. 107 <laughs> millimeter rockets for retaliation. And, I, it, it would be, and the, dude, that, that thing was would scare the shit out of me. Like I'm not <laughs> – what's weird is I could be in a gunfight – and completely just like calm, dude. I could sip a fucking latte frappuccino during a fucking gunfight. But when you and Ben were like launching those fucking 107 millimeter <laughs> rockets out of that Mark 21 pod that you confiscated <laughs> off the battlefield and built a fucking remote panel with uh, uh, plywood, and, out of yeah, plywood yep. from KBR with a DeWalt rechargeable battery, dude. I would be like, 
I want to get the fuck away from that because <laughs> it was That's some MacGyver dude. shit, dude. It, I'm it like was MacGyver, man. I'm like, yeah. think I because I know both you and Ben. I'm like, you guys are in there freaking working in your little 18 Charlie area, coming up with all this shit. It was scary. And then slinging rockets back at the enemy, like yeah. yeah and a 107's <laughs> no fucking. That's what joke, fucking dude. Green Berets do, man. They figure shit out and then they fucking lay the smack down. Yeah, yeah. Ben was definitely a good idea fairy, and we loved it, and, and we loved him for it because sometimes it was like, oh god, but sometimes like this <laughs> is awesome. Like, yeah, when that trailer starts rocking back and forth, is it just smoking 107's back at the poo site? Like, yeah, you that feel was like LMTV. Something done. That was an LMTV trailer, right? No, no, that was, was a smaller GMV, one. It was a GMV. GMV. It was a three quarter ton GMV trailer. Yeah, we we just left it hooked up to the GMVs that we weren't taking on missions. Yeah, because we were taking the Land Rovers out, and uh, yeah, it just that was well that became, you know, our that one of our, you know, what TTPs for you know like we get we take rockets. You hop somebody hopped in that thing, hauled it out to the HLZ, and started firing back at the at the poo sites. Yeah, a dozen or so one hundred sevens. Yeah, which is crazy. <laughs> Um, I'm trying to think of like funny stories like on our deployment because I think there's a bunch of them. Oh, but, dude. Oh, God. <laughs> Remember we were the, talking about them last night. Well, the first cache recovery. I was listening to one of the previous podcasts where you are talking about when we had the four GMVs hooked up. Oh, yeah. Trying to pull That's the jingle actually, truck dude, out. Dude, I got to find a picture of that. I've got it somewhere. Dude, those mo- yeah. that mobility problem, I mean, we got a jingle truck. And if for you guys that are listening that have never been to Afghanistan and you don't know what a jingle truck is, think of a semi- uh, a semi-rig with like a, you know, a box car kind of thing on the back of it. Like a tandem dump truck. Yeah, basically. Like a tandem axle dump truck huge. with a huge... We went yeah. after, we had uh, a good a good source that provided good information mm-hmm. when Lee and I were in Afghanistan. This guy's like, hey, there's a cache here. You guys need to go get it. It's an older cache, but they still service it, blah, blah, blah. Okay. So we get all of our GMVs together, gun trucks, and we're in some seriously restricted terrain but it, but the but the roads and the lines of communication were big enough to to run GMVs on, so we go down, <clears throat> we get this cache, we roll it. You guys are in there doing all kinds of hilarious shit. I I have a picture of you guys actually in like fucking bib overalls, <laughs> Carhartt bib overalls. We're on this mission, and you guys look like miners. So this cache is in the side of a. Uh, the side of a mountain, right? Mm-hmm. It, but it was reinforced on the inside, like they had used concrete or something. Yeah, it was. Yeah, it was to reinforce the top of the the roof of this this hole in the side of the mountain, so they could put munitions in there and hide yeah. them. And so these guys are in there, which I don't know, you know, I, I'm sure in the 18 Charlie course, they teach you this to get a fucking pickaxe and, <laughs> and start digging around inside of this cachet. And they, uh, these guys are dude. uncovering mines and all kinds of stuff. And they're inside of this. I'll never forget. I walked up to it because I was actually out with our A&A pulling security while these guys were doing this. And I walk up in there and I'm like looking and I was like, yeah, fuck this. I'm out of here. Yeah. Like, one fucking one, one, uh, one pickaxe strike on a fucking anti-tank mine. And oh these motherfuckers God, are dude. toast. So. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you know, initially it didn't seem so precarious, but, but then the jingle truck in the river. Yeah. So yeah. What so we're, what we were getting well, to. Yeah. So on the way there, jingle yeah. truck gets stuck. We, right. we hook up like three Humvees yeah. and that's what, and that's when the, the cable broke and impaled a hook in the back of one of the Humvees. That's right. Yeah. Well, that was round one. Round two, we're on our way back. Oh God. Yeah. And then it really buries it stuck. twice as bad. Yeah. And we, we hooked up four at that time. We hooked up four. So imagine we got four him, yeah. GMVs in, in line, line hooked up. 
to pull this jingle truck out of the riverbed and we're doing the best we can. And, you know, there's a lot of coordination obviously going on in this whole thing, not to mention we're in friggin' bad guy territory. So obviously we're a little bit concerned about, Hey, we're bogged down. This could be a really good place to get hit, Mm -hmm. you know? And while this went on for hours, by the way, and then security went out of the window. I'm sorry. I think that's when the (laughs) the sleet and the snow started. It started. Yeah. It was raining. Then it started sleeting. Then we were getting snowed on. Long story short, stuck for a while. I'm not. I'm not ashamed to say that uh, the A and A battalion that was in our area of operation, yeah. they actually brought out a a tow recovery vehicle, which is eventually two, what, two five tons. That's so, right. So we, two, yeah. we got him out with the four GMBs, and and then he buried it again. <laughs> and at that point, there was no getting him out. And I had procured a spies rope. Which yeah. I don't know how long those bastards are, but they're huge. Yeah, and they're really long. And we did. We called. We called back to the base. The the at A and A Battalion brought out two five tons. Yeah, and, and we hooked each took. end of the spies rope to their pinnel hitches, and then looped the center of it through a huge shackle on that GMB. And they just started. They first they tried pulling, no go. Yeah. And then finally, I was like, you guys got to get this out of here. And so they backed up and got a run at it. And after about the third, like, boom, at the end of it. <laughs> and it's kind of like a snatch, uh, a snatch strap because it's it's a dynamic yeah, yeah, a yeah. dynamic rope, yeah. but huge. So it's got elasticity. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it finally it slingshotted that good. thing out, yeah. man. Man, if I ever find Spies Rope, you better believe I'm procuring <laughs> that and keeping it. But that was yeah. a, I mean, we were there for, I just remember. Hours and hours yeah. and hours. And typically, like. Most of my most of our stories, I think we have like, I can remember guys on the team would like we were rotating saying fuck it and like oh, yeah. dudes were cold like hungry we're out there super late at night getting shit on and then you know finally we fucking got out of there. I personally had a lot more on the line on that one for <laughs> reasons we won't discuss. Okay, that truck needed to come home with us. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I remember me and you remember because we we had a. What's unique is like when I think about even my like ladder trips after this, I don't think I lived so shitty in my in my military career. Like we we had, I mean, when we got there, we had cots. Yeah, our our entire room was uh, filled with sandbags. Yeah. we didn't have windows because they were yeah. filled with sandbags. Yeah. Uh, we it was a plywood second floor. We were the only ones in a second floor building, so we were on the high like higher. Uh, oh no, painter. Uh, yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. Captain, yeah, yeah. Captain uh, Painter at the time, Captain P, um, was on the other side. Yeah, we had his hooch, but we were elevated. Yeah, and you know w- when we were getting rocket attacked, they'd come right over our hooch, and we were just waiting for one to scream through a plywood little house shack. <laughs> yeah, I, I'm pretty sure we were the aiming point. Oh, dude, easily, <laughs> easily. And then we had our own little internal uh, team hooch for our detachment mm-hmm. on the inner compound of yeah. our huge compound yeah. or not huge, but it was a, a compound. And I remember we had that monkey. Oh, two of them. We had two of them. Male and female. That, that <laughs> loved Ben because of his beard. And yeah. then when he shaved it, they didn't know who he was and they acted like crazy. <laughs> but I remember, dude, I remember, I don't remember the details of this, but I remember we had a grenade Oh yeah, inside yeah. of our room. Yep. And then the monkey started getting around and like touched the grenade and pick up the grenade, and everybody's like, "Oh shit!" Yeah. And we all bailed out. <laughs> He's like holding the grenade. Yeah. Oh, dude. That, yeah. So, yeah. So the, yeah, the female was not cool. She'd scratch and bite. The male was really cool. Um, 
but he but he liked to play with demo. He, yeah, he so he got the grenade that one time. Another yep. time, I was going out to the demo range to blow up a bunch of stuff from you know that we had acquired from caches that was like we couldn't use. And so I had my demo bag sitting on the back of the six wheel ATV, and we're we got the Connex open. We're loading up the UXO to go blow it up on the HLZ because that's where you you should blow up demos on your HLZ. <laughs> it was a really small fireplace. We didn't have a lot of good places to do it. But anyway, so um, so yeah, I turned around and that little bastard had grabbed my blasting cap box out of my out of my demo bag and was sitting up on the top of the door. Uh, to the Connex, to the, the Sealand container, oh and he's God. messing with it. He's biting at it. He's trying to open it up, and I'm, I'm like reaching for him. And then I'm, <laughs> I'm looking at all the demo on the back of the ATV and the Connex full of demo. And I was, I just was like, I think we're just gonna leave him for now. <laughs> eventually, he couldn't get it open. He got bored with it, and I don't know, set it down. Or he, maybe he dropped it, but it didn't blow everything up, so we're good. But yeah, those, oh, dude, monkeys, those man. things, man. Oh. oh, and when we gave him the Heineken. Oh, well, probably shouldn't talk about that. <laughs> oh, yeah. Remember when Ben, I, I, I remember when Ben, like Ben, like a couple of distinctive memories with Ben. You know, Ben uh, was an 18 Charlie. He was a senior Charlie at that time. Mm-hmm. And one was when we were in the Connex and he, he pulled out oh. an HN5 Chinese surface to air missile. <laughs> and the fins popped out. <laughs> and the fins popped out and the gyro started. He like he's like, what is this thing? I'm like, what is that? And he pulled the missile out of the, the retaining uh tube. The pins popped or the fins popped out, and then the little gyro thing, which is it locks onto a heat-seeking source. Yeah. Started activated. spinning and started activating, and I was fucking running. And he comes out of the thing like, "What's going on?" I'm like, "Fuck you, bitch!" And he's just like, "What's going on? It's not a big deal." I'm like, "Oh my god, really?" And then the other one was, "You were there for this because I remember because I was from a distance watching you guys." Oh, the yeah. big blow. Yeah, where we did a big cachet, and I'm not sure the details of the cachet. You might remember this, but. And then somebody threw – it was either Ben or was uh, a KBR guy threw like something at the 107 that was on fire still after it and it ignited and shot off in the air and <laughs> yeah. blew everybody on their ass. Yeah. And I was like, oh, my God, everybody's dead. We just killed our whole detachment. Yeah, that we might have done a little bit of experimentation on that cachet, <laughs> trying to conserve some C4. Bad idea. Um <laughs> Yeah, so we, we we clack it off, and um, there's a big boom, but there's still a lot of smoldering from the demo pit. And so guys start walking towards it, maybe against my better judgment, but whatever. So 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 we're walking towards the smoldering demo pit, and um, kind of all peer over the edge, and it's the ass end of the 107 where all the fuel is. So the, the warhead's gone, but the ass end is... There's flames coming out of it, and just about the time I'm, I'm thinking I'm about to say, guys, boom! It ignites, and if you've ever heard of 107, there's a boom, and then it ignites, it ignites the fuel and sends that thing out. Yeah, so it sent the ass end of that thing rocketing. Thank God, not into any of us, but just you know. It left us in a cloud of moon dust. I didn't even know. What I thought everybody was dead. Yeah, like, I, yeah. they're all dead. They're I, I got up and just started running. Thank God it was in the. I was I, I was blown in the opposite direction of the demo pit because I just got up and started running in a cloud of moon dust. And I emerged from it. And I see Neil next to me, and, it, and we're both like checking ourselves, and we're looking at each other like, you know, see if we got all Still our limbs. Yeah, yeah, you're right. Yeah. And, yeah. Wes, the KBR guy, was blown on his ass too. Yeah, I remember that, yeah, dude. that was. Uh, yeah, oh. that was not 
proper procedures. I don't, you know, you know, I, and I, I wanted to it's confirm this because I don't remember, you know, some of this, you know, we were there, you know, our company was on the Pakistan Afghan border when, uh, Marcus Luttrell, when that whole yeah. operation, Red operation Red Wings, Red yeah. Wings took place. And six six five actually Kent's team, who's a, a a legend in special operations, great fucking dude. Uh, his team was one of the teams that went in yeah. with six some I think a six four or six two one of the, some of the guys. Repatriated Marcus Luttrell. Yeah. Yep. And they rescued him. And then that night, I remember we got spun up because I remember we loaded our rucks, yep. got everything ready, mm-hmm. and we monitored the radio, and we were on QRF. And they just told us to get our bags and stand by, like we were on, yeah. the, had them prepped on the HLZ. And I remember we were waiting for everything to take place, and then the the, you know the the helicopter had went out already and had you know, that was right down the road from us, yeah, and had uh, been dropped in smoke. But I remember that trip, we lost three CH forty sevens during yeah. that rotation. It was, it actually it was a scary time because I remember I used to go back for the detachment as the op ops fund guy. And get funds, and every time I flew back to Bagram, man, which is yeah. hours yeah, flight, was just puckered. dude, it was not, it was not a good time to be in a helicopter, <laughs> dude. Yeah. In fact, Wes, what? the KBR guy, was mm-hmm. in one of the uh, CH forty sevens that crashed and killed everybody on board except for him Damn. and a few dudes on the plane on the helicopter. Yeah, uh, they had actually lost a lot of guys. Uh, do, I, you remember that time period? I, I, well, I like, do, yeah. and you remember the dismounted uh, patrol we did up that valley? Yeah, when the whole. Uh, you know, battalion kind of got involved with that one. The coach of Valley. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and um, that's actually our, in the historics in the second battalion. Like the oh, whole yeah, mission yeah, is yeah. actually yeah. Up there. Our, yeah. our Halo team infilled and Overwatch. Yep. And they went, and after we exfilled the Valley, they went, the, they sent us a CH 47 to go pick them up and smoked it in. It and crashed, those guys yeah. sat on the hillside all it, night and we packed bags again and we yeah. had to go back out. MH 47. Oh, yeah. In fact, it's funny is oh, Eli, yeah. Eli, because it was a 160th. Yeah, yeah, that's right. And the way it, it, it's actually in a book. And um, um, who's the guy who did, was Black Hawk Down as a pilot? It's. Um, uh, uh, yeah. Oh, uh, Durant. Durant. Mm-hmm. Michael Durant wrote a second book in a company of heroes. And in the prologue to that book, he talks about his battalion commander, who was a peer of his at the time. Mm-hmm. But that battalion commander, remember, was on that bird. In fact, when Willie, our team sergeant, went to go fight to have to argue over who's going to infill us, they're like, basically, once they said, "No, we're not going to do it. It's, yeah. it's too risky. We yep. can't do it." And said, and basically, Willie called him out and said, "Well, fuck, we'll we'll get the big army to own up to do this." And they're like, "Fuck it, we'll do it." And so they owned up to doing it. And in fact, because of the controversy with them doing that mission, um, the battalion commander decided to fly in the bird. Himself, himself, wow. and the fucking bird crashed oh, on infill. We lost a fucking you know mi- you know ten million dollar bird mm-hmm. uh, trying to exfill our Halo team. Eli was on that. Uh, Joe, yeah, uh, Joe was on yeah, that. Joe, Joe, <clears throat> and then um, yeah, I remember that because because I remember <laughs> what's funny is that's when that earthquake happened. What's funny is they got it's not funny it sucked for them because they they didn't get exfilled that night. We had RTB. We had returned to base. We were getting outfitted, and they're like, get your shit, because we're about to go out and do a QRF for them. It rained so bad. It was a huge storm. We couldn't exfil them. Mm-hmm. The next day, the earthquake happened. So they were in a huge, they were in a helicopter crash. <laughs> almost died. Like, they had to treat the 160th guys who were injured. Yeah. They sat on the hilltop. They had a fucking uh, earthquake that was, like, one of the biggest earthquakes in that region. 
which I remember because I woke up from an ambient sleep <laughs> watching the village collapse. I think like, I ran you over coming through the door behind <laughs> you. Not sure if we should just write it down since we are on the second story. I remember thinking, I don't know, maybe we just write it down. Like if, if we get down, it all collapses on top of us. At yeah, least we're on the just second write story. It, dude. I didn't know what the answer Most was. Most bizarre experience I've ever experienced yeah. in life, I think. And then um and then they got exfilled, I think, the following day or something like that, which was was crazy, man. I remember that time. Yeah. It was super fucking crazy. I think Lee and I were joking last night. So Lee and I uh, had a fantastic oh shit moment being pinned down by two <laughs> fucking PKM machine guns in Afghanistan. And uh, yeah, that was an interesting one. We That all developed. We, we knew there was a bad area, obviously, where we were working. Yeah. And we used to go there often because it was the place where we could kill bad guys and get into... We knew there were a lot of shitheads there and so we wanted to go kill them. And we ended up in that area and ended up <clears throat> setting up. We left early in the morning. Yeah, well, I, I think that's when we would determine that was Shitheadville. Oh, yeah, absolutely. That, yeah, yeah. We, we just randomly went in there. Well, we, we knew they were using yeah, a yeah. certain line of communication. So kind of to paint the picture for you guys, there were IEDs everywhere in this area in um, in southern Afghanistan where we were working. And so we didn't use those routes and we knew that the bad guys were using different routes. And so we, you know, doing what we do, being, you know, smart dudes, uh, left out early in the morning and set up basically, you know, some different positions to see if we could roll somebody up and get some information that yep. would help, you know, push us in a certain direction. Well, lo and behold, old uh, boy on the motorcycle. <laughs> yeah, there was a, on dude, a Sunday drive. <laughs> yeah, there was a dude on a Sunday drive with a fucking AK-47 strapped underneath the motorcycle and uh a mutual friend of ours andy who was on the team with us was uh was the gunner in the lead vehicle and as a matter of fact our buddy that got killed ben mm -hmm. was in that vehicle as well and they did like a little motorcycle vehicle interdiction on this guy and you know after some you know some lollipops and candies given to him uh you know to figure out where the bad guys were this guy's like hey there was just a huge Taliban meeting in this village, like, uh, like 10 K from here, or maybe even closer. Yeah. And so of course we got extremely excited cause we're like, fuck yeah, <laughs> we're going to go fuck some shit up. And we all jump in our vehicles and literally haul ass to this village, you know, and, and this guy, this bad guy, you know, that we had, uh, put into custody basically, um, we go to this village and sure as shit, as soon as we start getting on the outskirts of the village, Dude, motorcycles are squirting out of this, this, uh, this village like immediately. Right. <clears throat> so we give chase, um, and we're chasing these guys dun, 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 yeah. dun, dun, <laughs> up the ridgelines. Yeah. Which, which is, you know, if you've ever been to Afghanistan, you know, when a GMV is really hard to do, well, <laughs> These guys were taken off on motorcycles, extremely mobile. We're not as mobile. Lo and behold, they they end up dumping their motorcycles. Well, yep. We didn't know this at the time, so we get up to this plateau, mm -hmm. and we park, and Lee at that time was on my truck, and we decided to dismount with our Afghan dudes that we had with us, and we're dismounted. The Dirty 30? Yeah, the Dirty 30, <laughs> bro. <laughs> we had 30 A&A dudes that we Hand trained. Selected, and, yeah, yeah, that we that we trained and work with. And they were our dudes. Every time we went out on a mission, they were the guys that went with us. But Lee and I jumped off this truck and we, you know, grabbed a, a portion of our Afghans and we are doing like a dismounted patrol. We knew the guys were in the area. Like we found their motorcycles. We found, and then on my side, 
I, I can't remember if you and I were walking. We were kind of We were on each out. side of a wadi. That's right. Working yeah. our way down. Well, I rolled up, and I think I found it first, but I found a bunch of uh, combat gear ditched yeah. in the bushes, like frags, full racks. Like, these guys were loaded out to bear, ready to fight. And, you know, they were like, hey, these are the bearded ones. We don't want to fuck with these dudes. So they ran. They dumped all their kit and uh and so we found all this stuff in the in the brush with the ANA or yep. out in the desert basically and I'll never forget <clears throat> you know we find that and then a short time after that I hear a couple AK47 gunshots you know some boom 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 yeah, so yeah, of course that right. that get that you know attracts my attention right away and our ANA are doing like a little like victory dance <laughs> like they were like standing over Chai the boy line. Dance. yeah they were all excited, like jumping up and down. Well, they had found these guys hiding. Yeah. So we ended up rolling up, you know, it's probably like five bad guys. Um, anyways, you know, which, you know, anybody that's ever been in the military understands that, you know, hey, killing bad guys is a good thing. But when you get them alive, you know, you're going to get information. And that's a good thing, right? Because it leads you on to bigger fish and all that kind of stuff. So anyways... We end up talking to these guys and, um, you know, and then, you know, basically throwing them in the back of the GMV and then doing all the right things that we were required to do by the military to take prisoners of war, you know, uh, back into where they had to go. And But the crazy thing was, is that we spent a lot of time doing this tactical yeah, questioning. Yeah. We're sitting up on this plateau and, you know, it's no secret, right? Everybody's, learned. everybody's listening to ICOM chatter on this stuff. Long story short, we were there too long, and two fucking PKM machine guns pin us down on this uh, this plateau. Lee and I, I'll never forget it. <laughs> we had a we had a we had a canine handler, an MP that worked with us, and he was riding the rear gun on our truck. I TC'd the truck, which means I was in the passenger seat, and Lee was driving. Yep. And our gunner Joel, a buddy of ours who was a medic, just happened to be on the gun that day. This firefight kicks off. I mean, they're friggin', they're pumping automatic machine gun rounds right over our heads. From two all, different positions. Two different positions that had us pinned down. And Lee and I, no shit, are like looking at each other. <laughs> we, we thought our, our rear machine gunner was blind. His name was Billy. Fantastic kid, but he's fucking shooting this 240. <laughs> and he's like, they're right there, Sarge. And I'm like, I don't even Where? know. What the fuck are you talking about? I don't see what you're talking about. And then I knew where we were getting hit, you know, mm -hmm. from the 12 o'clock because Joel yeah. was engaging those guys. And, you know, Lee Lee was a, a level two qualified sniper guy. So I remember you're running the SR-25. Started, yeah. yeah. We yeah, learned more we lessons learned. learned. Yeah, we learned a lot of lessons. The bottom line Drag is... Drag out the Pelican case. Constantly learning. <laughs> constantly learning. You know. I got to zero this, guys. <laughs> Give me a second. Yeah, yeah, I mean, this Give me whole, a wind call. Oh, yeah, fuck it. This whole thing, like, there were a lot of lessons learned. Bottom line. I'm not going to throw all of our dirty laundry out there. But Lee and I are back to back. We're watching Billy do, you know, he's in, and he's like, they're right there, boss. And I'm like... Like, this guy's, I can't see shit, <laughs> yeah. but he's, he's fucking trying to light up the enemy. And you know what's funny, and this is probably a ding on me because I was the senior Bravo at the time on the team, but I'll never forget it. Same firefight, Andy, our buddy Andy's on a fucking 50 cal, and Andy's yelling at me, right? Lee and I are back-to-back -back trying to sort this out so we can find the enemy and fucking do what we do. <laughs> and Andy looks over and he's like, hey, Kurt! 
He's like, hey! He's got the handle to a 50 cal, the charging handle, fell off the side of the 50 cal. And he's like, and I was like, what the fuck do you want me to do with that? Like, get a Gerber out and put it back on, dude. Hey, like, Bravo, fix it. In the middle of this gunfight, I'm trying to figure out where we're getting shot at from. Anyways. Hey, he just wanted to know if you wanted yeah. to bip it or, or yeah. what. Yeah. So all you guys that listen to this podcast, I want you to understand right now that like war is not perfect. Uh, at all like I know you but it's guys it's a beautiful thing yeah yeah, yeah right yeah. it's uh, I- interesting and just all the the internal like memories that all of us have about all these different things that happen but the funny things that happen inside of that right and I, I mean obviously it can be deadly and and all these other things but you know that day we we lived to fight again and and we ended up fucking the bad guys up pretty good and rolled up a bunch of guys and it was a good, it ended up being a good day, but it was definitely comical, uh, this firefight. So, so the one caveat to that is, as you were, as Andy was yelling at you with the charging handle in his hand, <laughs> and I remember like looking back and forth. I remember looking over at one of the, the ANA's, uh, Ford Rangers. Oh. Right? And I remember their, their commander was laying on his back, like with the door open next to the truck. And I oh, thought, that's Holy right. shit. He just got smoked. Yeah. And, and so I'm looking over and like, oh, what are we going to do about this? And then I see him laying flat on his back like he's dead. I and remember I see him pick this. pick his head up, just his head, and look around and grab a hand mic and scream into the hand mic and then lay back down like he was dead again. <laughs> he, he got yeah. fucking fired. I he was playing that. dead. Yeah. Well, he was doing his comms with hire up in... Uh, yeah, where their headquarters was, which at that time they had communications through their radios because these guys were running their own radios in their in their National Army uh, vehicles. Mm-hmm. And I remember that, too. He was underneath the vehicle, and he was, like, trying to make comms with hire, like, taking cover <laughs> underneath the vehicle. And we're, like, looking at him like, what the fuck is this guy doing? Like, uh, there was a lot of other funny things that happened during that firefight, yeah. but there's a couple things, you know, that really stood out to me, but... Those kind of bonds and those kind of stories, like you just can't like those are hard things to make up. Obviously, we can't, well, you can't yeah. replicate it in the civilian world. Yeah, I mean, that's difficult. Is, yeah, it's yeah. unique. It's I mean, for first place. responders, I think they have probably some experiences that potentially are close to that. Yeah, um, you know, because but of, when you live it, even yeah, even living in peacetime, yeah. you're not in peace. Right. Yeah. You're like in a fucking fire base waiting to get a rocket up your ass, and it's just. It's a completely different yeah. environment, you know, it's no, amazing. Yeah, which is fun. I mean, we, you know, and the funny thing, you know, doing this podcast, Mike and I haven't seen Lee in years, you know, but, yeah. you know, it's it's funny to be back together again because it, it reminds us a lot of being on the teams together. So, and that's yeah. always a good thing because those are always like pretty positive moments, I think, in all of our lives. And those are good things to look back on and enjoy. And then remember like all the lessons that you learn, whether it was tactically, you know, like the firefight we just talked about or just in life in general. And I think those are the experiences a lot of times. I think Mike and I with Fieldcraft Survival and through all of our friends and guys that we served with and all of our connections, those are the the things that we want to teach people and talk to people about if we could ever impress <clears throat> on people the positivity that comes out of that you know that's that's one of definitely one of the goals of the company so yeah, I, I know lee when when we mm-hmm. were roommates i remember um not to somber the move but i remember um you had two significant friends that, yeah. that were killed <clears throat> in combat <clears throat> and, and i remember that's a tough time for you i we i actually remember having the conversations with you and 
and uh, making sure you're okay because it's not like you know some people have associates or or friends of friends that are killed or right. that are uh, lost. But you had Jason Brown it was Jason Brown, right? Well, that was one of them. And so Jay- so Eamon Taha was a Eamon Taha. That's right. Yeah. Jason Brown was killed that that trip, but he I went to the Q course with him. Yeah. But Eamon Taha was killed in Iraq in a cache um, situation where like he was trying to he was trying to detonate. Uh, or he was working a cachet as an 18 Charlie, and then Jason Palmerton, who was killed. You know, what's what's crazy is the tie-in here is uh, Johnny Primo from Courses of Action, who's a good friend of ours, uh, was actually there when when uh, when Jason was killed. Yeah, and so, our, so it was Jason yeah. Palmerton, not Jason Brown. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, but, uh, but pa- Jason, Jason Brown was killed that same trip. Oh, and got, I knew you, him. got you, got you. I killed, knew him, yeah. Yeah, yeah. so, so Jason, Jason yeah. Palmerton was my buddy. Yeah. Yep, and yeah. Tame and Aha as well. Yeah, I was killed in... Yeah, so uh, Palmerton was first. It, that was the first month we were there. Yep. Um, and uh, he was from First Battalion. Yeah. And then uh, Eamon, uh was at Fifth Group. He was in Iraq. Yep. When that happened, yeah, yeah, it was. You did not. You, you well, you know how it is. You're going through the Q course, and they tell you look to your left and right, you know, and and you're gonna, you know, you're gonna lose guys, and you're gonna see somebody down, you know, that left row or that right row, but. You don't expect it to hit that cl- that close to home, man. Oh, absolutely. Those are the closest peers, <clears throat> closest friends to you. In fact, didn't Jason and you come to that SEER graduation uh, when I, I graduated? Jason, here, right? I actually you and I graduated yeah. together. Yeah, we graduated together. And then Jason... I actually want to highlight something real quick since we're talking about it because I think it's it's hugely important to understand. Mike and I get a lot of interaction on social media and a lot of questions, you know, young guys that want to serve their country. Mm -hmm. And, you know, there's a lot of Hollywood has done a fantastic job of uh, Hollywoodizing special operations and everything that comes along with it. But, you know, what we're talking about right now is the real deal of going to do the job. You know, just like you said in the Q course, they told you to look left and they told you to look right. You know, the country's at war. It's a serious job. It takes serious guys to do the job. A lot of sacrifices mm-hmm. made by not only the guys themselves, but their families. And, you know, that's the reality of what you're going to do. Is it awesome? Fuck yeah, it is. I mean, we're sitting here doing an hour-long podcast talking about a lot of the great memories we had. Talking about brothers that are lost. Um, just a lot of different experiences, but the but if you are thinking about doing this job for a living, understand everything that comes along with it. I don't think, as a matter of fact, I know 100%, none of us in the room would have picked anything else ever to do because it was that kind of a positive, impactful experience, but understand what comes with it because I get a lot of questions, you know, of guys where you've been watching too many movies in Hollywood yeah. And you got to understand what comes with the job. And if you're willing to man up and do it, it's one of the best things I know for me personally I ever did in my life. It definitely made me the man who I am now. Absolutely. And definitely, you know, the guys that I'm sitting with right now, the guys that they are. Um, but but it's, a, it's an important point to highlight about what we're talking about because, you know, emotionally for us as well, the guys that were lost, I mean, obviously for us to sit here and talk about it as grown men, is still not an easy thing to do. All of us have had really good friends that didn't come home. And Mike and I, through Fieldcraft, have done, you know, tried to do our best to continue to support organizations that support the families of the fallen. And we will always do that because it's extremely important to us. So I just wanted to throw that out there during the podcast because, again, you know, there's a lot of Hollywood sensationalism that goes along with the job. 
understand if you want to do it, you better come committed because it's no fucking joke. Yeah, for sure. <clears throat> yeah, you know, um, I remember, you know, that those th- losing your your buddies in that in that context, you know, and subsequently after that, you know, we've all lost friends uh, beyond that. You know, Ben being one of them. Uh, what kind of impact did that have on your life? And then, you know, when you said you had the difficult year before you got back into it, mm-hmm. why do you think that was? Like, what was what was going through your mind as far as, like, the transitional process of how, how difficult that was? Sure. I mean, you know, when we go back to Jason and Eamon, um, I think the long-term effects of that were um, I didn't get to grieve right away. Like, yeah, because you're down range, Yeah, right? you know, yeah. and so I knew in the back of my head that um, um, I had to stay in the game because um, initially, you know, Ben was the, the senior Charlie. I was the junior, but he went back for for school. So I was the only Charlie there. So I had to, you know, you know keep my head on straight. And then he did come back, you know, and so then I, you know, I had the support, you know, there in my job, but I still knew that, you know, as a driver of a truck or, or, you know, as a Charlie blowing stuff up, I had to keep my head on straight and, yeah. you know, be, you know, keep my teammates, you know, safe. And, and if, if I went too far down the rabbit hole with that, that I, I wouldn't be there. So the mourning process didn't really happen, you know? Um, That's actually, I mean, it's a great, like we, I've talked about this a little bit before too. My experience in what you're talking about was, uh, you know, over almost 20 years of service, we compartmentalize everything because we have a job to do and we're constantly going and you don't get, I don't think an opportunity to grieve and do some of the things that are somewhat natural for you Mm -hmm. to be able to recover from certain things because we're constantly going and the responsibility of the living on the team is that you're taking care of each other. And that's a, that's the number one priority is accomplishing the mission Um, And doing all that, which, you know, is a blessing and a curse, which is basically what you're describing right now. Like you don't get the time to grieve. And then, you know, my experience with leaving the military was all these things when I was done had come back up and flashed in Mm -hmm. front of my face because I kind of took the totality of joining the military and then everything that I had done in in combat and in my service. And I had an opportunity to go back and revisit a lot of those experiences And then come to find out, you know, there was like grieving that had to take place and all this different stuff. So it's is that what took place with you at that when you left the army? Is that is that is that the opportunity that you had or the time in which you had like, you know, to grieve? Um, you know, not totally. Like at that point, you're so far past; it just comes in pieces. I yeah. think you know, with with Ben, I just. You know, I just got back from my first uh, deployment as a contractor and Kurt, yeah. you called me and told me. Yeah. And, and for that, you know, uh, my, my wife and I, fiance at the time, now my wife and I flew back mm-hmm. to Fort Bragg for the funeral. We did the grieving process. You know, we went to Charlie Mike's afterwards with Ben's ammo can full of yeah. ashes and, and, <laughs> and drank and, and which is what he would have wanted to do. That was a healing process. Um, I don't know that, you know, I think the closest I've come to a healing process um, was uh, um, going back and visiting uh, Jason and Eamon's graves mm-hmm. um, at Arlington. Um, and, but it's so fragmented at that point. Like, there, 
that's yeah. probably the closest I've come to closure there, you know? Um, and then, so once I got out, man, it was, it was a combination of everything. Mike, you've talked about, you know, kind of being depressed because you're leaving behind something that you guys did a lot longer than I did. But, you know, aside from raising a family, it's the most significant thing I'll probably have ever done in my life. And, and it was probably the biggest accomplishment that I ever had imagined for myself in my life. So walking away from that is tough. And then, um, and then trying to reintegrate, you know, I, I thought because I had been a civilian for years before I enlisted, you know, I was 24 when I enlisted, I thought it'll be fine. I'll just reintegrate. It didn't work that way. Um, and so, yeah, that first year was a lot of emotions, you know, sometimes feeling like a quitter, like, you know, you quit, you know, but then sometimes realize the realization that it probably was the best choice for you at the time. Mm -hmm. And then later the realization that if I would have played my cards better, maybe I could have, you know, seen my career go more the way I wanted to in special forces. Yeah. Um, you know, and then a sense of purpose. Yeah. Um, which, you know, going overseas and, and, and working for special operations teams and increasing their lethality and their survivability and come back and getting positive feedback is, is, is really good. Um, and helped out quite a bit. Um, but yeah, it's, I think that's, it's a, a, that's obviously a big one is purpose. Like we've talked about yeah. it. Mike and I have talked about yep. it, you know, tons of times about people leaving the military and having that transitional period, which is a, you know, it's an emotional one. It's mm -hmm. difficult for everybody, regardless of their experience or what they've done in the military. But it's, you know, I think a lot of the lessons that we learned was setting yourself up for the better you know, on that, on the ending of your military service is really actually being proactive about what you're going to do when you leave. And it doesn't have to be the right thing right off the bat when you leave, yeah. because obviously, you know, you're a civilian and you can go work another job or do whatever, but it's actually the sense of purpose when you're in that community of men for the amount of time, regardless of whether it was six years or 18 years or 20 years, whatever it was, you know, there, there is a, you have a purpose there that is, that drives you like no other thing. I, I don't think I've ever felt in my life other than being a father and a husband. Um, you know, I mean, it's just, it's the fire that lights your ass every single day. If you're mm -hmm. serious about the job and you want to be good at it. So how do you find it now? Like what, what is it like today that, how, I mean, how do you move forward? And then just knowing that sense of purpose and justify because, I mean, we're justifiers of existence. You know, we, yeah. we work hard to, um, uh, you know, selflessly sacrifice, but to, to justify our existence in, the, in today. How do you do that? It's tough, man. Um, you know, sometimes <clears throat> you really have to search for that, you know. And, and for me, you know, um, you know, I have a beautiful family. I have a wife and a daughter. And so that's what I can always fall back on is to, is, is to try and succeed in excel there um you know but but sometimes you know that's kind of you, you, something you expect of yourself so you you look for it in other places and sometimes it's hard to find and, and something that you guys have talked about um in the podcast that i've really related to is positivity yeah and 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 it's something that um man i really struggled with when i first got out mm -hmm. man it's just a lot of negativity, a lot of anger. Um, and, and it's something I mean, I still struggle with, but I'm way better at now. Like, Hey, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of down and out cause I, I don't feel a, a huge sense of purpose today, but 
you know, look, it's a beautiful day and, you know, yeah. I, 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 what, what do I have to complain about? You know, I, I came home with my eyesight, all my appendages. I can, I can go hunting I can go fishing. I can take my daughter on a treasure hunt, you know, like, um, I think the positivity plays a huge role, especially in those moments where you don't have a huge sense of purpose. It's just trying to stay positive about, mm -hmm. about what you still have and where you're at. Yeah. And you, remembering where you came from yeah. and the experiences that you had. Yeah. Do you have any regrets yeah. with your overall career? I, you know, I have no regrets over the things that I've done. Um, and, and, the, and I guess the choices that I've made to be in the army and, and certainly, uh, is to be in special forces, if there's any regrets, it would be um, maybe decisions I or roads I didn't uh, go down or explore. Yeah. Because I, I think well, I was kind of naive you, and didn't know better. I can better. tell you per, or professionally and personally for myself, mm -hmm. you know, I was around when you were making these big decisions yeah. in the end. Yeah. And uh, obviously I would have liked to have seen you stay. As a matter of fact, I think we had that conversation yeah. maybe a couple times in the team room, yep. you know, but, and I'm not trying to do that. You know, I don't want to make this difficult, you know, sure. because you're describing this and, uh, but, but Lee is the kind of guy that you want to, you want to stay around. And it's, that's why I think it's cool. Like <clears throat> we all have this interconnected relationship where, you know, it's funny how we reconnected again. You know, we've always kind of kept in touch off and on over the years, sure. uh, but bringing him down here because he's a native Colorado guy and, you know, everything has transpired since then, you know, I think it would be cool if Phil Craft, like Mike and I have a dream, uh, as far as the business is concerned of continuing to, to grow it and provide a place for, uh, one, our teammates to come if we're successful enough. Hopefully with your guys' help, we will be. Um, and you know, the bottom line is, uh, we are connected to a long line and breed of, uh, special forces guy that is, uh, that has a lot of value in the civilian world. And, you know, that's what we're doing now. And so I'm actually excited about the future of the company um, because even with the things you're doing now, I think, uh, you know, you could bring a lot of value to the company. And, you know, I would absolutely positively love to be working around the guys that we worked around in the military again because we all do have a special bond. Mm -hmm. And anytime you can um, keep that together and actually take care of guys you served with, like that's obviously something special. So more to follow there. Right. <laughs> but yeah, no, it's exciting, you know, but Lee was one of the guys uh, that I wish would have stayed because he was a very squared away dude and he brought a lot of skill set and maturity and professionalism to a detachment. So for whatever that's worth, man, like, I don't think I've ever told you that before, but um, always had a real high opinion of you. So yeah, that uh, honestly, that means the world to me. Um, yeah, like I said, I, I zero regrets about the decisions, you know, and, and to to be a, a part of the community and the regiment. And but um, the only regrets are maybe that um, I, I could have made maybe some better um, decisions or st you know steered my career a little bit better and and stayed the course and, and in uh, directions that I wanted to go. I think I was just kind of naive. Um, and, and, you know, like Mike, when after our first deployment, when you were like, yeah, I think I'm going to go a different direction. I was, kind of, I was a little butthurt. <laughs> I, I was like, brother, what? what? You're <laughs> Where leaving? Are you going? Yeah. <laughs> and now, right? I was like, what? what? 
who's going to share a sea land container with me on the next deployment? <laughs> you know, but in, you know, in right. retrospect, now I get it, and I just didn't at the time. So, so that's my only regret is that I probably could have steered my career better and 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 made it longer. You know, but it is what it is. Um, I'm sitting here drinking beers, hanging out with <laughs> my my two favorite eighteen Bravos, and. Uh, <laughs> You know, and I, I have a beautiful family, and I'm relatively healthy. Well, you know, need to start running a little bit more, whatever, but that's all right. I still fit in my, my pants, and uh, yeah, it's it's so, it's just, you know, taking every day one step at a time, and um, reconnecting with you guys is, is amazing, man. This is this yeah. is awesome. When I, when I think about, like, the everyday mobility thing, and kind of like, even, it's bizarre, but if I was like to make any of that valid, cause you know, I almost feel like a poser in a way. Cause I, you know, I rode on the back of those vehicles, you know, cause I gunned them. I gunned every fucking vehicle that we made in overland space. And then every subsequent rotation after that, I feel like I was an driving elite, them. An, an elite, an elitist overlander. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, it's amazing. Oh, fine. You it's gunned like, every single, I, well, I gunned them, but I didn't have the capability to like repair them. And, yeah. you know, I think, you know, as we talk about what a man truly is, which is to me a provider and somebody who's self-reliant and which is what we preach. Yeah. The fact that, you you know, you're somebody who could weld, somebody who could sew, somebody who, who has a hunt. Yeah. You know, you know, all these things are things that we're catching up with, you yeah. know, because like. You know, it's 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 an amazing. I was gonna say something stupid. But <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I don't know. You're like, I feel like you and I are wearing like dresses over here, and Lee's like, "Hey guys, how's it going? Hey, pussies, I... <laughs> are you ready to go fucking build some shit?" Like, uh, okay, Lee. I'm so, I'm so glad I brought these beers. Man. I know, man. It makes I sound better. so cooler than I thought. I, I know, could, you know? <laughs> dude. It's it's uh, it really is because it's it's the reality. I, I think it's it's almost like. The coming of a man, like when a re the reality of what you realize a man is, to me, you know, as a young me, a man is somebody who could potentially boast about who they are. That they're like a guy who, by all appearances, seems like they have their shit together. Right. But that, to actually have the skill set to repair, to build, to be self reliant, is to me what a man truly is. And I, I'm still learning that process. I mean, and, I, and then I look at you, and you're like, you already have, you you already have a ninety percent solution. I mean, you're a green beret, you're a builder, a maker of things. You, you're self reliant. You're from Colorado, and it's like, you know, you have a cool you got truck. A big wiener. <laughs> you, got, you have a I cool mean, truck. We were talking about your wiener in the shower. I know. I was like, damn, dude, big that's wiener, like, handsome, handsome. <laughs> and so, like, we're just pretenders. Oh I mean, my yeah. god, first wiener is real small. <laughs> Hey, dude, I'm Irish. Yeah, All potatoes, no, no steak. I'm Korean, so I got <laughs> yes. any. I was going to say something there, too. <laughs> <laughs> I got a tuck back. Yeah. Yeah. Um, By the way, I, I just invested $100,000 in Fieldcraft Survival. So <laughs> I basically paid them to say this. Hell yeah. <laughs> Big wiener, handsome, self-reliant. <laughs> keep going, keep self going. Yeah, I didn't get enough of that. So. <laughs> but, you know, it's cool. Is I, you know, we were talking about the potential yesterday, and... There is so many different avenues that we can go with uh, exploiting your capability because people want people want and need to learn those kind of skill sets. Um, and you know something that we were talking about was a trailer thing. Yeah. Look, there's tons of overland trailers, tons of companies that do it, but you know what? There's not one company that would have the experience or the backing or the uh, 
the tactical and technical expertise to be able to assemble something that that um, means the most, that's optimized for combat, uh, which means it in a civilian um, arena, it's just, it, it, it would free flow. Yeah. Like, I mean, there's... Well, I mean, you know, yeah, you look at like, you know, we talk about different ends of the spectrum all the time about products that we develop and we make for the civilian market, but there's a, there's a ton of applicability about the lessons that we learned in, you know, for example, your guys' time at Firebase and Array, Lee and I's time down south at Firebase Sweeney, and just all the different environments that we've been in that we've worked in together where you're living off your vehicle, you're doing all this stuff, which is like why we were joking in earlier podcasts you know, being, we being want, called out for, yeah, well, we like the over, fake I, overlanders. Yeah. I'm like, guys, I was doing this off of a vehicle, like before it was cool in the U S and oh, by the way, I was getting shot at while I was doing it, you know? So yeah. anyways, that's not to beat our chest or anything like that, but we want to be a part of that community because we like to do it. So as a matter of fact, we've got a buddy that's flying in this weekend. We're going to go and hit California pass up in the high country, North of Silverton, Stay and tuned then, for that content. Yeah, that'll be good. So we're gonna we're gonna take a bunch of pics and and do video and stuff like that. Always uh, entertaining stuff coming out of those trips for sure. So I'm excited about that. So upcoming, you know, um, you know, f- for the tribe members that are subscribed, we're doing more content in the, in the next couple of weeks. Right. Um, that we'll be filming uh, for you guys. Um, also, we'll be releasing it back to the public because you know we feel like hey, if we're not officially set up. Right. And we're not providing the, the service. We're not going to take people's money. Exactly. And um, another thing, we have the Everyday Mobility Bag, which is going to drop soon. We, we're yeah. actually going back and forth because we, you know, we don't want to put an extended timeline on it. But we're going to, the bottom line is we're going to offer it up to public. Yeah. And I mean, the important thing to understand there is, hey, guys, we're excited about this product. It's patent pending. A lot of, uh, lot of time and energy went into this project. We'll continue to do so. And, you know, the most important thing to remember is that it will hit the market. Uh, We're doing a bunch of things, due diligence on our side to make sure as a business um, and providing a product to the to a consumer that we're doing things right. And we want to make sure that all of our T's are crossed, I's are dotted uh, before we just throw something out there and then, you know, and and it's a free for all. So we got to make sure on our side that we're doing things right. So uh, if there's a delay or anything like that, it's still coming. It's made. Um, we're excited about it. We already have production times, a bunch of different things going American made, super excited. Uh, it's going to be dope and it's going to increase your survivability. No doubt. Uh, every day, our first everyday, uh, carry course. Um, you know, we've been talking about this for the last year, yeah, right? You're excited because yeah, the EDC thing was yeah. something that we wanted, like the gunfighter mm-hmm. stuff always, right? Because that's what we grew up on, but the everyday carry stuff, super applicable to the civilian client. Um, hey, lots of people have concealed carry permits. We live in the West. You know, both of us have concealed carry permits in Colorado. Um, you know, lots of people, Arizona, all over the place, right, that that uh, legally own their firearms and carry them legally. And so we want to make sure that we're offering up the best training that Fieldcraft can by teaching you uh, better ways to conceal carry and to fight from that configuration to save your life or your family's lives. It's 9 June in uh, Phoenix, Arizona at Cowtown. Right. And then on 10 uh, June, Jay from Axis Performance will be doing uh, one of the Fieldcraft trauma courses. Um, actually, thanks to Surgeon Rifles for allowing us to use their classroom because uh, he'll be teaching in Phoenix, on that sunny yeah. in Phoenix out of that classroom, which is awesome. Um, later that month, um, Jay will be 
teaching his uh, trauma course on the 23rd in Ceres, California, which is a staple of our kind of our scheduling yep. was Ceres. And then um, he'll be teaching that pistol diagnostic course, the, the uh, fundamentals of, of pistol on the 24th of June. So if you want to sign up, it's philcraftsurvival.us. Hell yeah. Uh, Lee, thanks for coming on the episode, man. Uh, we, man. we hope to work with you more. Yeah. Um, you know, we're, we're trying to, you know, we're trying to integrate our, the, the talents and we, we, we see a place for you. Um, I, I think this overlanding, um, thing, I mean, to me, there's nobody more qualified in the world that I know, yeah. uh, that could fit, fit in this space. So absolutely. Yeah. Man. And thanks for sharing your experiences and thanks for coming out here to, uh, to, and thanks for bringing place. tasty beer for this right. podcast. <laughs> yeah. I, I appreciate you guys, uh, you know, bringing me on for the podcast and, and, and uh, just for hanging out, man. It's, yeah. it's been too long. It's awesome. It's, it's good for the soul, you know? Yeah, absolutely, man. Yeah. Way too long. Um, so, so guys, uh, if you haven't heard already, we're going to Northwest, uh, Overland, which is in Washington and Leavenworth, Washington. We'll be there um really from the 28th to the 1st of july 28th of june to the 1st of july right uh, we'll have a booth there actually setting up we'll be selling swag we'll have the demo of the new edm everyday mobility bag um and we'll have some survival kits on hand please come out and see us at the booth and uh, say what's up yep. um also this just dropped recently but we'll be out at the um the outfitters um, show in Denver, Colorado. Right. From from the twenty uh, third <laughs> uh, to the twenty seventh um, of July, which is you know it's a ways off, but yeah, put it in your fucking dome piece, whatever. Yeah, if you're gonna be there, please. Uh, we'll be uh, obviously walking around that show and checking stuff out. And uh, if you're gonna be there, let us know. We'd like to meet you. Yeah, absolutely. Anything else? I think that's it, guys. YouTube, YouTube. Oh yeah, yeah. What about YouTube? <laughs> we, never plug, we never plug our YouTube channel. Oh, that's channel. right. We have a YouTube channel. Yeah, we have a Philcraft YouTube channel. Go to YouTube, look at Philcraft, and watch our channel. Um, we will be putting more content on there, specifically uh, some videos that are uh, very particular to the seatback panel slash go light bag that we have just developed that, again, is patent pending. So um, there'll be an educational process with that because I think – uh, the good thing for you guys is we'll do a good job of telling you why uh, you need it and why we designed it and the true functionality slash efficiency of being able to have a panel on the back of your seat with your med kit, your survival kit, whatever else you want to run on it. And if you got to get out of the vehicle and take it with you, it turns into a go bag. Hey, this episode is, uh, you know, we, we do bring on sponsors. We're starting to do the sponsorship thing, but uh, U.S. Night Vision, who is a... Uh, a big supporter, strategic partner of ours who provides night vision equipment for everybody and everything, military, civilians. Yeah. Uh, check them out at usnightvision.com. Also, yep. uh, Rigid Industries, which provides lighting for all of our rigs because they're the best in the lighting industry. I mean, we've, yeah. we've R&D, T&E to all that shit, and um, there's nobody who does it better. Also, Roka Wear, uh, Roka Eyewear, which is a sunglass company that – you know, dude, these guys are doing ballistic. Oakley is Oakley, right? Yeah. One of the biggest brands in the world. Uh, we wore them in the military in our military career, but um, to, to be honest, uh, there's up and coming companies out there. Roka's been around for they're a while. They're definitely pushing the envelope. They're pushing yeah. the envelope, and uh, there's somebody that we believe in. So check them out. R O K A. All right, guys, uh, we appreciate your time, and uh, this is officially the longest podcast we've ever done. Yeah. For a good reason. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Thank you, Lee uh, Z. Um, 
If you guys got any questions, hit us up at philcrosssurvival.us on our email channels. It's info or training at philcrosssurvival.com. And, of course, you guys can find us on social media um, at Kurt underscore, underscore big <laughs> Under- old loser uh, on Instagram. <laughs> and, um, he was just talking Mike about positivity, and now you're going to oh, yeah. talk shit at the end Sorry, of the Sorry, I'm angry. I need it's to actually out. Kurt <laughs> underscore big wiener team Phil Kraft, <laughs> and it's Mike uh, underscore. No, I'll, you'll be a big wiener too, bro. Oh, I'm going to stay positive. You're so positive, man. It's so optimistic. <laughs> Thanks, guys. All right, take care, guys. Thanks. Till next time. Stay alert. Stay alive. Stay alive.